This Three Things is all about helping you build your best executive career. What are the skills most in demand for leaders today? What can executives do to stand out in a competitive market? And what can employers do to attract the highest quality executives? I am delighted to welcome leading executive search professional, Anna Whitlam, to the show. CEO of AW People and APAC Tenio Talent Advisory, Anna and her team work across the globe to provide executive search and strategy advisory services. Anna's a serial entrepreneur and she's founded several successful advisory firms, most recently seeing AW People acquired by a global CEO advisory firm, Tenio. Anna's mission is to help professionals realize their career aspirations. And I couldn't think of a more relevant and more interesting topic. Anna Whitlam, welcome to Three Things. Wonderful. Look, thank you so much for it's having me. It's a huge pleasure. And I guess it's, a lot, it's a, probably a lot warmer in Sydney than Hong Kong today. Yeah, I think on many levels. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's put, put it like that. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thanks that, so much. That, we can do that as another podcast. How about that? Yeah. Let's get straight into it. So really interesting business that you have. And I think something, and especially in these crazy COVID days, what are the key skills that you are seeing most in demand by employers these days in 2022? So let's point directly to people skills then, you know, in terms of individuals that can operate in environments that don't have formal structures or hierarchies anymore. So comfortable with maybe less infrastructure, comfortable in a less defined environment. Yeah, absolutely. So can join dots, strong influence, negotiation, flexible, agile to innovate at speed. And so if we then flip it, let's ask a question that some people I think will find very interesting. We're speaking about what the skills are required, but what you've seen, you know, we've all been there for the interview that's a complete train wreck. What do candidates get wrong in your experience when interviewing? What top tips could you provide? Another great question. And I do talk to a lot of people about this because (laughs) people, particularly at the most senior level, over-prepare. Really? That's interesting. Okay. And what happens when we over-prepare is that we create answers to questions that we perceive might actually be presented and we don't actually think about the question that's being presented at the time. Right. So it becomes a very uncomfortable discussion rather than it actually being a free-flowing discussion where two people or two, an organisation individual are getting to know one another. So that because, sounds like then building the relationship as yeah. well as being prepped. Don't forget, as you said earlier, the EQ, the relationship side of, of the experience, the process. Absolutely. And I mean... I think preparation in terms of what's happening to that organisation. So, of course, you've got to have that grounding. But a lot of it is about being yourself. Mm. Who are you feeling comfortable in your own skin to be part of the conversation? Even five years ago, I doubt that would have even featured because you're almost verging on the psychology. Yeah, I mean, I think to remember that we're not talking about ticking boxes Mm. around particular skills. We're talking about the leadership traits that actually differentiate good from great, so to speak. And we're moving further and further away from deep technical subject matter expertise to being able to lead people Mm. and lead change and connect dots, you know, between purpose, brand. I'm not going to ask you the very unfair question about which sectors and which markets are doing particularly well. 
But in terms of the general buoyancy of the employment market, would you say this is a particularly good time for people looking for a new career or how are you finding the market generally? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, you know, I can talk about each of these questions for hours. On <laughs> so I'm going to keep we it got, quick. We got 30 um, minutes. <laughs> look, it's a terrific time. Yeah. But the yeah. big issue that we've got is that round pegs want to go into square holes. Organisations, particularly multinationals, are set up in a way that means that they are struggling to yeah. change at the pace at which they need to to attract the level of talent that they want to. Their pay structures are all out of date. The way that people are rewarded and managed and enabled are out of date. And COVID, one of the very few positives, has really pushed the need to be a lot more agile from an organisational perspective as well. So we've just got a mismatch. It's interesting. We're recruiting in our firm, we're recruiting quite, I would say, aggressively at the moment. And we're seeing quite a good talent flow. So Anna, looking at the market generally, would you say it is an employer's market or a candidate's market these days? Yeah, it's a candidate's market. That's interesting. Why is that? Because organisations can't change at the same pace as candidates can and are oh. as individuals. But separate to that, COVID has changed the way, you know, we've all heard about the great resignation, yeah. uh, has yeah. changed value in people's minds. It's less about hierarchy. It's less about being the biggest and the best and earning mm. the most money. And it's much more about living life the way that individuals want to live life. And if an organisation can't provide that experience. That's yeah. so interesting. So organisations really have to look inwards before they can look outwards these days. Correct. And those that are doing that at pace, you will see able to much more readily attract and retain the right people because yeah, it's, it's the first question that comes. It's really interesting. A friend of mine just was employed at a very large global bank and on the first day in his job, he was asked, where do you want to be three years from now? And what do you want yeah. to be doing? And I thought that was really interesting question, which suggests that, you know, they, they from day one, they want this candidate to think about what's next, which I thought was pretty good. Absolutely. I mean, I'm surprised that they asked day one. That's something that I would have asked at interviews to, <laughs> to, to, to better understand. I'll tell you who they are. You can give them a call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I mean, but you are right. I mean, it it is quite innovative, particularly for a large bank, because they're thinking about how they can actually enable that person to be where they want to be in three three years, which is about retention. Before we get to your first thing, Anna, something you said I'm really interested in, the great resignation. There seems to be quite a few perspectives on this. Now, it's a myth. It doesn't exist or it's real. As someone who's in the business of moving people on the global employment chessboard, what's your view on the great resignation? I guess I'd like to say that it's a myth, but unfortunately we are seeing it as the reality. We have never had such a difficult time trying to find, secure and retain the right C-suite talent for where organisations are at. People are very critical of company culture through what they read, through how their leader, the company's leader might be presenting or not presenting through the organisation's ability to embrace digitalisation on the basis of all of these things that candidates are choosing and they're opting to take a smaller mortgage, a more relaxed lifestyle out of the city if that then means that they don't have to work for a company that they don't want to work for. Anna, this show is called Three Things and it's all about what we would tell our younger selves. So what's the first thing, if you could go back and tell younger Anna Whitlam 
one thing, what would your first thing be? So it would be to be courageous. I'm pleased that I have done the best I have with that. But when you are young, you don't realise that it is actually a capability to be able to get up every time you are pushed down. Mm. I think in general, life and business is not easy. And to assume that you can be whatever successful might mean to you, but to assume that you can be successful without being courageous, I think is a hard assumption in the world that we're in right now. Give us an example of a time where you were courageous and looking back, it was a smart thing to do. Any examples you can share? Right. Again, that, this is a whole topic in its own right. <laughs> <laughs> so the definition of courageous is not deterred by danger or pain. Without going into too much detail, I mean, right from a very young age, I grew up with severe dyslexia, so I couldn't read or write. I was in a special school until I was about 13, and then I was sent to a boarding school where apparently my life was going to change and I was going to get university ready or whatever you might say. And I distinctly remember the day where I made a decision that I wasn't going to be that person anymore. Wow. And I honestly, and I mean, now it's a weakness as much as it's a strength because I do find it hard to give up, but I have never looked back since. And I'm a big believer in saying that if you want something badly enough, you absolutely have to commit to it and do everything in your power to make it happen. And it will happen. But often it comes from adversity because that obviously motivates you to work to actually drive a change and being courageous to do the things that hurt and are hard is the only way, I believe, in business and in, and in life to truly get to well, where you want to get. Really, really interesting. Let's build on that. So you're one of the busiest people I know. I know you've just been to Singapore before COVID. You travel internationally. I think you're now traveling again. But you spoke about courage, but also a lot of that is, you said, you know, just keep going, is energy. What keeps you going, Anna? Where does your energy come from? Yeah, again, another terrific question. I mean, another thing that you may not know about me, Charles, is that I had cancer a few years back. And the way that I refer to that is that I fell off the treadmill, so to speak. It does give you a very healthy respect for life, but it also gives you a healthy respect for everything that life has to offer. I'm all about living. And what that means is that I live, you know, I have two young kids. I had kids very late because I had a few health issues and they're very energetic and being a role model to them is important. I get extraordinary personal reward in helping people and organisations solve large complex problems. I mean, that's kind of my modus operandi. I try not to think that anything is too big. I think if there is a will, there is a way. And that's how you get on with it. I mean, you can't do these things without being fit, being healthy, having a positive outlook. You obviously had a huge personal health mountain to climb and obviously so happy that we're in better days now. But that must have been almost a defining point. You are spot on. It's very easy to fall back, though, into what you knew. But I I I had stage four, so I was pretty unwell for quite some time. And I'm very committed to that whole keeping fit maintaining a happy outlook the other thing too that I guess um, is important and you know you talk about where does your energy come from you can't do everything right so I make choices you know and I think there are a lot of people in this world that think that you can do everything and you just can't so I don't have a huge social life I don't do a lot of things outside of work exercise and my family they're the sort of three things that I do because I want to do them well 
If I tried to do too many things on top of that, I think I would probably start to fail. And in fact, I've probably got a bit too much going on <laughs> right now. Yeah. When you, you know, it's funny, you, you remind me of one of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs. Someone asked him, what makes Apple successful? And he says, it's not the things we do, it's the things we didn't do. In other words, they had so many choices to do so many things, but they were very focused on doing a few things really yeah. well. Um, Absolutely spot yeah. on. I think we've got a lot of people listening who will be both on the employer side and the employee or the, the candidate side. So yeah, let's just visualize a scenario where you're talking to sort of 20 CEOs and you're having a fireside chat. If you were telling them about the attributes employers need to have to attract the most valuable senior executives these days, yeah. What are those attributes? What do good employers now demonstrate to their employees? So a transparent, clear purpose mm -hmm. with an aligned culture. Okay. So it's not the word culture. It's what does that mean around here? How, what is our approach to DE&I? You know, diversity is not just gender. It's inclusivity. It's a whole lot of other things. The CEO, the leader itself, the board are known for their progressive mindset, their embracing of innovation and digital technologies that will help make that organisation a leader in their space. So just to uh, look, I'm, I'm in a, a adjacent business to you, and I'm going to now play devil's advocate a little bit, if that's okay. So, Absolutely. It, you know, even a few years ago, this stuff was all seen as quite fluffy, right? You yeah. know, purpose, mission statement, we strive to be blah, blah, blah. If I'm hearing you correctly, this stuff is no longer an option. I mean, it has to be built into the DNA of successful corporates. You know, you said it. That's exactly right. I think this genuine commitment to these factors that are inherent in reputation. It's interesting, right, that, you know, you and I used to work in this. We, we work in a practice area, right. which surrounds reputation. But reputation has become the organization, because if the organization doesn't manage its reputation through these elements, then attracting and maintaining the people that can align to those is not possible. So that sort of sounds sustainable and social practices, things like exactly you say, you know, they were fluffy. And then you look at yeah. all of these global disasters where we've had these instances happen, where you have seen a dramatic drop in share price and a mm -hmm. resignation of numerous leaders because they can't align to yeah. the decisions that the board or the organization have actually taken. This is just anecdotal and I'm being a bit naughty, but let's say the bad old days of five years ago, maybe less. I always found there was a direct correlation between how many motivational messages on the office wall correlates exactly to how bitter and toxic the corporate environment. Yeah. And I found more notices meant more toxic. Yeah, you know, didn't really do it, but it just happened a bit more organically, tended yes. to be much happier and much healthier. And that's just a very personal observation. I don't know if it's true. No, I share it. I mean, um, you know, I share it. And you and I are both very global in terms of the work we've done, the organisations we work with and the spaces that we're in. It's not about what's said anymore. It's about the behaviours that demonstrate yeah. that. So it's yeah. the actions that are louder than the posters that you and I see on the wall. Yeah. It's the, what people talk about on Glassdoor, on the internet. In yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's this whole economy that is going on behind the scenes yeah. and that's much, much stronger than what you and I used to see on posters. <laughs> so we're talking about three things. 
we've discussed your first thing. Anna, what's the second thing you would like to go back and tell younger Anna? That tenacity is a really great thing, but tenacity can sometimes be a weakness as much as it can be strength. And again, this is sort of taught through adversity at a young age, not wanting to give up, being really focused at building a better world. The reason that I talk to courage and tenacity is that I worry about generations below us today that are brought up in more fortunate conditions where the ability to strive is not being driven as much. And, you know, I'm a parent, so I know how hard it is to not give your child everything. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think these are the foundation of what we need, you know, to operate in a world that no one can control. And I think that they're underestimated in terms of their value. I think that's such an interesting comment, a world that you can't control. And that's always been the case. But just looking around now, we have geopolitical, we have health, we have COVID. It's very turbulent for all of us. Let's just then look ahead back to the more day to day. So someone is listening to this podcast, and I would imagine one or two of our listeners will be having a dream interview coming up, if not next week, maybe in the next sort of couple of weeks or a month or two. What are the three best pieces of advice you can give someone walking into their dream interview? I'm going to assume that one knows the basics. So that's a hygiene factor. Okay. On on top of that, it's being yourself. Okay. They're coming to you because they want you. The second is obviously, as I mentioned earlier, don't over-prepare. And the one thing that I get asked a lot is, do I wear a suit? (laughs) <laughs> and my answer to that question is, is dress as they dress Yeah. and dress as you dress. Don't turn up in a suit with a tie if that's something you never wear because you will sit there fidgeting and feeling incredibly uncomfortable and you won't be able to actually be who you are. People want to see people in their authentic self, in their own authentic suits, in what they do and how they behave. That's who they are and that's who the organisation is hiring. What I find fascinating is you've got the big picture, but again, the common thread coming through your remarks, Anna, goes back to one word, which is be yourself, be authentic. And I think that's a phrase that's greatly overused these days, but it seems to me that it's vital that, as you said earlier, you're comfortable in who you are. I think employers have always had a love affair or in and out of love with sort of psychological evaluations, personality tests. Would you advise someone to self-diagnose if they're looking to get out there and try and find another job? In other words, do you think we understand who we are very well and could we do better to understand ourselves as individuals? I think some people do and I think some people don't. So I don't think it's a, you know, a clear yes, no answer to that. I'm a little like you, Charles, and when I think about, you know, all these things that a lot of this was fluffy at one point in time and wasn't really valued. But I do think that those that have operated in an environment where they've strived to either please parents or Mm. operate within a tight cultural regime, whether that be family or organisation, has probably meant that they don't really understand themselves to the degree that they might need to if they're going into an organisation that has that expectation So I wouldn't tell somebody what to do, but I certainly think, you know, I mean, I'm well and truly at my half-life point and I'm still getting to know myself and I have to work on it all the time because I believe that that's really where you find your true happiness by understanding who you are and then putting yourself in situations that make you feel good, you know, in terms of doing the things that you really enjoy doing. I don't see work, career, 
as a means to an end. It's yeah. a big part of our lives and we've got to love what we do. So we've got to find the things that we enjoy and it's hard to find the things we enjoy unless we really understand who we are. Now, of course, I'm not forgetting the fact that we need to earn a living because that's a part of sure. life as well. But you don't have to have one without the other. I came like many of us did. I came from from very, very little, you know, and I think we have this perspective that you're supposed to take a big job in a bank because apparently that's going to pay the bills or be a doctor or be a, I think the world's changed. And I think if you can know yourself, you can demonstrate that you can have everything you can balance the money and the work and the, to actually really enjoy it. It's hard when you don't know yourself. So let me ask a very unfair question. And I won't ask you, obviously, to name any corporate or individual, but mm. you must on a daily basis meet a lot of people who work within large organisations and a lot of people who are thinking about a career change and, and or points in between. Getting a little bit hippie, if I may. Yeah. How happy are people these days? Have you noticed there's any significant changes? You mentioned, you know, yeah. work shouldn't be all about money. And of course, but you, one needs money to get through and to get things done. If I'm really honest with you, people are more unhappy in their work situations than they've ever been. But I believe the only wow. reason for that is they've been given the permission for it. Can we dig into okay. that a little bit, Anna? Because that's when yeah. you say given permission, can you build on that remark? Because that fascinates me. What does so, that mean? I mean, to have the entire world shut down literally and have us forced into our homes for a period of time has meant that individuals have connected much more with their families. People have experienced a different side to life. And certainly you and I have. You know, I mean, I, I used to travel every week and I've been sitting in my dining room now for two years. So I've been seeing my kids every day. I've been at the family dinner every night. I've seen people on weekends. So there's this other side to life that I think a lot of people who sat in an office for 10 to 15 hours a day never saw. And so it's not that their job is any better or any worse. They've just decided they don't want to do that anymore because they're getting to know themselves. If I'm hearing correctly then, so, I mean, going back to the original question on the happiness index, do you think we're basically happier than we used to be? If we take work out of it, I yeah. think people yeah, just know... General. Yes, people know what they want more. And if it means knowing what you want gives you greater happiness, then yes. Okay, got it. People don't want to go back to work. They've made it perfectly clear that getting in the car, two hours commute in traffic, just to sit in a cube for eight hours, no thank you. Do you see that being something employers need to keep in mind for attracting talent in the future? Absolutely. You know, and you look here... The issue in Melbourne, in Australia, is that no one will go back to work after being locked in their houses for 300 days last year. And when you've got an entire workforce that is rallying together to say, well, fire me, and we're talking at senior levels of an organisation, then the employer doesn't have very much choice than to actually create a new structure or or a new how we work around here around what their people are asking because there's not another... 40,000 people that they can hire tomorrow with the same skills. So we are at a major inflection point. I can't quite believe this. We're almost at the end. This has been fascinating. So we've listened to your first and your second thing, Anna, but what is the third thing you would go back and tell the younger Anna Whitlam? So I think empathy, being empathetic, having an ability to understand the needs of others, I think that that honestly makes the world go around and I'm grateful that I have a genuine care about people and that's what drives me in my work. 
I'm still trying to understand what drives individuals and what's going on in their worlds and therefore how that impacts them. I mean, I think that that is one of the capabilities of the future, you know, in terms of what will enable success because understanding our environments is ultimately enables you to influence and negotiate. It also helps you relax more in your own skin. Yeah, because it's a lot easier being you than someone else, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. To the earlier point around people getting to know themselves. Yeah. I just want to finish with one, I hope, simple question. We've spoken a lot about what employers need to do to attract talent. Let's flip that coin. What do you find are the biggest reasons people quit their jobs these days? You know, there's one, honestly, word is the toxicity. So toxic culture and where a CEO or a board have a poor reputation for managing reputation. We're seeing left, right and centre reports of sexual harassment coming out. We've seen left, right and centre, you know, poor appreciation of diversity or commitment to reputation or sustainable and social practices. I mean, that is, you can't even begin to talk to someone these days unless you can be sure that the organisation, if they have had those issues, are actually proactively managing those issues to drive a better tomorrow. And thanks to places like Glassdoor, it's very easy for these sorts of traits to be publicly available. And people are very smart. I mean, they will figure things out. And presumably, employees need to pay attention to what's being said about them because it can directly impact their attractiveness as an employer. Half the time, the potential employees will know before the CEO. If you look at generationally, I mean, my daughter knows a lot more about what's going on from a social media perspective than I do. I mean, it's extraordinary. So you only need to ask her if there's been a change in the Apple software or goodness knows what else. Mm. So we have to get better at that because we will be trumped as leaders in future. And that, again, is the need to upskill ourselves to be able to compete at a different level on, across different capabilities that are going to be demanded even more and more so, or valued. Let's wrap on that specific point. And again, this is a bit of an unfair question, but, you know, we're, the world is changing very fast, despite all the sort of trials and tribulations. I'm personally quite positive about where we're going. But there's this big thing which is now evolving and emerging called Metaverse. And there's Facebook's change its name. From a point of view of the big sort of corporates that you work with, is Metaverse something that's on their radar? Is that something that they're interested in? Is there a parallel employment opportunity out there? Look, I mean, I think there is, and I think it's happening everywhere. But again, it is that they're trying to get their heads around how they actually enable that. So they're not even at step one yet. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think particularly for fintech-based organisations or startup where they have actually started with a very fresh idea of something that actually meets a need in the current market, they are thinking with a metaverse kind of 3D virtual world perspective But if you were to look at the HR function of a large bank, I'm sure they're looking at it from a retention or potentially attraction moving forward. But at the same time, to get to that point is very difficult. Although some organisations are setting up separate businesses almost to innovate. So they're innovation hubs to actually make sure that they are testing these sorts of things so they can actually bring them into their organisations. Which which seems pretty smart. 
Anna, time has literally flown. We always end three things with one thing. And we always ask our guests, what is the one thing that you can't live without? And we take aside shelter, family, food. But if there's one thing that is vitally important to Anna, what would that one thing be? It's actually, is health part of that or no? Health is absolutely part of that. Yeah, health. Because when you don't feel well, it's so hard to run at the pace that I want to run at. I like running at pace, as you know. Yeah, so I, I have noticed. <laughs> and health allows you to enjoy life and to be a lover of all things possible. So, yeah, it would have to be health. Hey, lover of all things possible. I'm going to say that's a great way to call this one. Anna, it's been so kind of you to find the time. We know how busy you are. I hope you had fun. I did. It's such a pleasure. And I'm sorry I've rabbited on a little bit. No, not in the slightest, but really want to say thank you. Anna Whitlam, from all of us at Three Things, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Have a great afternoon. Thank you very much, Anna Whitlam, for a fascinating insight into the world of employer and employment in 2022. Lots of really interesting insights and I hope everyone found that of value. I certainly did. Looking ahead, we are obviously in a very strange time on the planet, but three things doesn't quit. We don't stop. So we are going to be bringing you a terrific series of guests, which will wrap up our series one. And we are hoping to bring you someone who is a leader in the crypto field. And we'll be answering all the questions about where crypto is going. And we are aiming to get someone very senior from the world of entertainment. So we'll keep you posted. Thank you as always for listening. We hope you enjoy three things from all of us. Have a good day. Thank you very much.